Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Last week was Palm Sunday. And we spoke about this incredible welcome that Jesus received as he came into Jerusalem. He knew that he was coming for his death, for his trial. He knew what would be happening in, in a week's time. But the people lined the streets to welcome Jesus, shouting, Hosanna, this is our promised Messiah, our Savior, who's going to come. However, their expectations of how he was going to rule were misguided. They thought he was going to come with power and with might and with an army and free and liberate them from the Roman occupation. But he didn't. <laughs> Jesus' kingdom works in a very different way. It works from the inside out. Jesus doesn't rule over people. Jesus rules within people. Amen? He gives us a new nature. And he works out his kingdom, first of all, in us, bringing liberty and freedom to who we are, and then liberty and freedom through us to lives around us. And so when we understand that these people came to God and had illegitimate expectations, we need to understand that the same thing is possible for you and me today, right? That we can come to God with illegitimate expectations. And so we can therefore worship a God of our imagination rather than the true God, than who He really is and what He has really promised to do. And that's why it's so important that we allow the Word of God to frame our expectations, what does a frame do? When you put a frame around something, it sets the boundaries for that thing. But it also highlights what's inside of it. When you have a painting, you frame it. And you have a picture in your mind as we talk about the expectations that we have as believers of this new wonderful life that Jesus has come to bring us into. And so the right way, the fitting way to welcome Jesus into our hearts and to welcome His kingdom into our hearts is to do so not according to our expectations or our past experiences or even the experiences of other people. But the way we roll out the red carpet to Jesus is, and we welcome Him in an acceptable way is by believing with all our hearts that He is who He says He is and that He will do what He has promised. Period. In other words, take Him at His word. Literally. Jesus called that childlike faith. He said of the children who came to him, unless you become like one of these, you can you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, to lay hold of all the wonders that Jesus came to give and to make real and available for you and for me, it requires something very small. Jesus said it's like a mustard seed. Faith. Simply believe that He is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. On Friday morning, we remembered the ransom that Jesus paid with His own blood for your life and for mine. And today is a day of celebration in the Christian calendar. It's the day that we celebrate that Jesus rose again from the dead. This is the wonder of God's mysterious and incredible love, the power of His love, that He has brought that very victory of Christ, that very resurrection, into our lives. 
Jesus is not just victorious, but Jesus is our victory too. The same victory that he has won, he has given to you and to me as his children. Let me read you some scriptures this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15 says this, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. What an incredible scripture. How did Jesus make a public spectacle of them? By rising again. <laughs> By coming back to life. And people saw, you, saw him and going, hang on, we saw you were dead. We saw you go into the tomb. There was a big stone rolled there, and we saw the seal of, 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 the, of, of, the, of the, the, the emperor that was put there, the seal of the, what's it called? Of, well, Caesar's yard, yeah, it's of, of the Roman, the Roman guy sealed the tomb. That, there, thank you. And yet, now, here he is walking, making a spectacle out of death that even death could not hold him. Even the grave could not hold him. He is risen victorious over all of those things. Again, 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 5 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. That's what the New Living Translation says. Isn't that incredible? Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. This great expectation that you and I have in our hearts. It goes on to say, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. Wonderful expectation. And I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, we have an eternal expectation. Life forevermore. Life forevermore with God. Eternal life. But also we have great expectations on this side of the grave. And I want to share some of those things with you this morning. That we have bold expectations in the presence of God because of who He says He is and because of what He says He has done for us and desires to do in and through us. So what is the first thing you and I can expect from God because of Jesus? Number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Probably the greatest miracle of all is that those who did not deserve forgiveness received forgiveness from God by the blood of His own Son. What greater miracle is there than to be washed clean? You see, this forgiveness that we can expect from God, it's not like we can walk into His office and demand forgiveness based on some kind of legal right that we have, based on some kind of boxes that we've managed to tick, and they say, right, we have fulfilled the requirements, so therefore you owe us this. 
God owes us nothing, and we have no ground and no leg to stand on in his presence apart from Jesus. But yet through Jesus, this is what the Bible says. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you this morning. So if you're taking notes, just jot them down. And perhaps in your quiet times this week, go through these again. Spend time on them. But I'm, I'm using a lot of scripture to set a platform for the points that I want to make this morning. Now I want to read to you concerning forgiveness. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says this. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Let's pause for a moment. What does that mean? That means we were once citizens of the kingdom of darkness. Darkness, yes, we understand it to mean evil. We understand it to mean sin and death and all that is associated. But darkness is also ignorance. He has brought us out of a place of spiritual blindness into and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Did you hear that? Forgave our sins. Not present tense, not future tense, past tense. All been forgiven. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Do you get that? For God's sake, for his own sake, God forgives you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you, and he so intimately wants relationship with you, and that desire for your heart, in order to satisfy that desire, he needed to make a way to forgive you, to cleanse you and I from our sins, for, his own, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Did you get that? In other words, once your sins are forgiven, God throws them in the ocean of his forgetfulness. He remembers them no more. And so when we're sitting there praying and we feel guilty about the past and we want to bring the stuff all up again, God's going, I'm not sure what you... Look, I know all things, but I'm not sure what you're talking about right now. I've forgotten that. I have done away with that. Another one, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he moved our, removed our transgressions from us. You see, laying hold of forgiveness, folks, the, allowing the truth of full forgiveness to settle down deep within our hearts is absolutely imperative for our walk with Jesus. If we harbor guilt consciousness, sin consciousness, it creeps into our relationship with God and messes the whole thing up. If we fail to receive forgiveness, and also, by the way, to walk in forgiveness, we will never be able to enjoy true intimacy with God. See, God says, not only have I forgiven you, but because you are forgiven, you too need to exercise and practice forgiveness. You see, either we must be separated from God by our sin, or we must be separated from our sin by God. Isn't that beautiful? Either our sin and our awareness of our sin is going to keep driving a wedge between us and God, or through faith in Him, through genuine repentance, we allow God to drive a wedge between us and our sin. Wider and wider onto perfection. And the wonderful thing is this, folks. Even when we mess up, we have a continued hope and a bold expectation of God's forgiveness. 1 John chapter 2, 
Verse 1 and 2 says this, My little children, these things I have written to you so that you may not sin. In other words, there's a desire that we do not walk in sin. And if anyone sins, however, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation, in other words, the atonement or the appeasement for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the whole world. You see, isn't this wonderful thing? If you can imagine a courtroom and a judgment seat upon which God sits and resides in righteous judgment, and we are there, we are the accused, and the one charging us is the accuser of the brethren. And despite the fact that everything he says about us is true, (laughs) and despite the fact that every accusation he makes might even be a lie, it might be true, and despite all the evidence to the contrary, Jesus, as our advocate, still stands and says, this one is righteous. Here's the marks where I paid for that sin. The debt that the accuser is speaking of has already been paid. Every sin that he mentions has already been paid for. Every fault, every slip, paid in full. That's what Jesus, when he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. I guess the, guess the best English equivalent we can have is paid in full, nothing owing. Isn't that beautiful? And 1 John 1 verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful to Himself, to His promise, and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? So what ought our expectation to be? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 tells us, That when we have sinned and when we have fallen short, this is what our expectation should be. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come, come, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now let me ask you this, church. What kind of person needs mercy? Somebody who needs mercy is somebody who has a debt to pay. Somebody who has done something wrong and is unable to pay it. Did you get that? And so God says... That when we have messed up, He still wants us to come boldly to His throne for mercy. That His forgiveness may cleanse our hearts, as well as grace to help us in our time of need. What does grace do? It's His very presence, the very person of Jesus coming to meet us where we are and give us His life, His ability where we need it. Isn't that incredible? You know how this scripture ministered to me? There was a time in my life where I felt guilty. I was so aware of my sinfulness, so aware of my own brokenness, that I didn't want to come into the presence of God. I felt bad. I felt that I had disappointed Him. 
Until one day God spoke to me through the scripture and he said, my boy, it's in those moments where I want you to run to me because I want you to have full faith in my mercy. I want you to have full faith in my grace that you will find there to help you overcome the very thing that you're ashamed of. Isn't that incredible? What a wonderful, glorious expectation you and I have. You see, this glorious forgiveness brings us to a place of being in, this is number two, our next expectation, being in right standing with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, 7, or verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. What does righteousness mean? Well, it's, you, can, you can compare it to an accounting term. If anybody's done any books or understands anything about accounting, in account, we've got some couple of auditors here this morning who will tell you that at the end of the day, the numbers need to balance. Everything needs to be accounted for, right? And so to be in right standing with God means that I owe him nothing and he owes me nothing. I am free in his presence. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it means to be in right standing with God. My debt is paid. And God loves and accepts us as we are in Christ, washed and cleansed. But it gets better. Yes, it gets much better. Because not only have we been forgiven, not only have we been made righteous, but we've been adopted. We've been adopted into his family. You see, the more we start searching this, the more we start building on this, the greater our expectation becomes as sons and as daughters. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, or Father, Daddy. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Isn't that wonderful? You see, a son or a daughter partakes of everything that is in the house. God spoke to me very powerfully once through something I noticed Stephen doing in his father's house. I'm a son in Pastor Andreas's house, a spiritual son. I'm a son-in-law. I, I enjoy wonderful times in that home. I feel at home there. But still, I wouldn't just go to the fridge, open it up, and help myself. You know, there was still kind of that line there. Until one day, God reminded me of Stephen. He opens the front door, says, Hi, Mom and Dad, and makes a beeline for the fridge. And one day, I shared this revelation with him, and his response was, Of course, it's my fridge. <laughs> Now, what is that? That is a beautiful revelation of a son who is at home, who understands that everything in the home is his. It's his. He has access to it all. There are no limits. And that his father is not withholding anything from him. In other words, there's no place in the house where Andreas is saying, no, you're not allowed in that room. That's off limits. No. You're a son. This is all yours. Yeah, there's rules, there's boundaries, there's respect, but... You're at home. You have an inheritance. You see, as sons and daughters, that brings us to the next point. We are heirs of a rich inheritance. 
a rich and a wonderful inheritance. Colossians 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Again, Ephesians 3 verse 6. And this is God's plan. This is from the New Living Translation. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Are you a child of God? Say, I'm a child of God. I have a rich inheritance. God withholds nothing from me. Oh, you didn't believe that one as much as you believed the previous point. Both are part of the same body, Jews and Gentiles, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The promise of blessing. Blessing. I want to say this to you. I believe that if you read Scripture, you will see that the blessing of God and the Spirit of God are synonymous in many ways. You know, when God removed His blessing from Adam and Eve, what did He remove? His presence. What is the curse? It is the absence of the blessing. The blessing enables us to prosper. The curse resists us from prospering. Amen? You see, when God's presence is with us, and His, his blessing resides upon us, that takes us to the next point. Point number five. Another thing that you and I can expect as heirs of this wonderful kingdom, as sons and daughters, is the very presence of the Holy Spirit and the blessing that resides with that in our hearts. Ephesians 1, verse 13, from the New Living Translation says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in, G in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit who we promised long ago. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. It is God's way of saying, you belong to me. You know what a seal is? It's a lot like when, in the old days, when they had cattle, and they used to brand them. That's the seal. They used to, right here on the thigh, and that cattle would then be branded forevermore. The mark is on it. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God's acceptance and His love for you and me. And He creates this experience for you and I of life which is so opposite to anything that this world around us experiences. He says that the fruit of those who have received the Spirit within them is that they will live a life filled with love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness. How much do we need more kindness, and faithfulness, and goodness, and self-control, and gentleness. Lives filled with these wonderful attributes. Isn't that wonderful? You see, these are spiritual forces that are the evidence that God and His Spirit are working in us and revealing through us the fruit of this wonderful blessing. Point number six, we can expect blessing. Blessing spiritually, relationally, economically, mentally, 
every area of our lives, God enables us to prosper by His Spirit. Galatians 3, 13 to 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Isn't that wonderful? What is the blessing of Abraham? Go read about it. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14, I think is the reference. That's the blessing of Abraham. You'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the field. Blessed shall be your bowl, your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be your water. You shall be above only and not beneath. You shall be the head, you shall not be the tail. Blessed going out, blessed coming in. In the city, in the, wherever you go, my presence will be with you to enable you to prosper in whatever it is that you do and you set your hand to. That's divine enablement. Amen? That's grace at work. And God desires that we expect that from Him because that is how we learn to co-labor with Him to live lives that glorify Him because, folks, without Him, we cannot live a life that glorifies God. We need the blessing. And God loves it when we expect it from Him because it gives Him room to move and to work. The final thing I want to talk about this morning, I mean, we could go on all day. We could go on for weeks and months on all the wonderful expectations that you and I have. But I think in all of these things, in Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of God, one of the most wonderful things that God gives to you and me is purpose. God created us for love, to be loved and to share His love. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, we are His workmanship. Now that word workmanship, it's a Greek word which I'm not going to try and pronounce now because I've forgotten what it is. Pumen or something? Pumeno? We are His workmanship. It means poem. Even the Greek is looking a little astounded this morning. Huh? Pima. There we go. I've got the P. We are His workmanship. It's like a poem, a unique poem written. Now, a poem is, is special because a poem is not like an operational manual. This is how this works, steps A, B, and C. Poem comes from the heart. A poem is descriptive. A poem is emotive. And God, God says, you are God's poem. And he created you in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you and I can walk in them. So God has prepared for you and for me a wonderful purpose, wonderful good works that display and reflect His glory in and through our lives, that we may walk in them, that we may enjoy them, find purpose in them, and one day be rewarded for them. Isn't that incredible? God sets us up for blessing and life and vitality and purpose and fulfillment every step of the way from the very beginning when He breathed life into us, even through His Son, Jesus Christ, when He made us new creations. God's idea for you is love, to receive that love 
and express that love by giving it away that you may walk in his ways, bringing life to all things around you, kingdom, order, and governance, setting yourself and the people around you free from the power of the enemy, the stronghold and the grip of darkness to restore us to our state of intimacy and fellowship with him, with his spirit residing in us, giving us purpose, hope, and blessing us that we may live for him and bring him glory as a result of the greatness of who he is. Wow, what a blessed existence you and I get to enjoy. Final scripture that I want to read is, comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. As a wonderful purpose that God has given to you and me, Jesus, as he was leaving his disciples, saying his goodbyes, said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. In other words, I am authorizing you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that wonderful? So Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, as we celebrate his resurrection life, he wants us, number one, to revel in all that we have received, to enjoy it to the full. John 10.10, the thief doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life. That's what Craig shared with us this morning. And have it to the full. But then also, within the purpose of enjoying and in our wondrous expectation, God would say to you and me this morning, go and share this wonderful news with others. Go and share this wonderful news. You see, there are many out there who today, for whom today is just another day. It's just another Sunday. There's nothing special about it. It's just another day. Another day on the hamster wheel. Another day without purpose, another day without hope, another day of disillusionment, another day of living with the fact that things are not working out the way I expected, it's another day of feeling guilty maybe before God, another day of being locked into sin or depression, another day, just another day, just another day on this humdrum thing called life. Because they've not yet heard truly heard the news that has made you and I come alive and filled us with a sense of value and purpose as children of God. What a privilege we have to share. God is looking to you and to me to take this message and bring other people into the wonderful reality that you and I have received. What are you going to do about that? What am I going to do about that? That's the question I want to leave you with today. Celebrate Jesus. Celebrate your salvation. But don't keep it to yourself. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.